If you turn again back with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, and I just want to read the first verse of that chapter. Nehemiah chapter 4, reading verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we build at the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Let's bow our heads together for a brief word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for that wonderful truth. That if God be for us, who can be against us? And Lord, yes, we know that Satan would seek to come and to thwart thy purposes here tonight. Lord, how he would seek to be a stumbling block, not only to the preacher, but also to the person on the pew. But we look to thee this evening. Lord, our hope and stay. We pray that, Lord, you would come and show your almighty sovereign power amongst us. The Lord, that you will thwart the purposes of the evil one. Lord, that you will go into his kingdom and you'll spoil his house. And Lord, not only revive thy saints, but Lord, bring out many precious sinners out to thyself. Lord, we have no other hope. Lord, we have no other confidence here tonight. Lord, we're resting alone in thy spirit. We thank thee, Lord, for the hours this past week of preparation. But Lord, that's not enough. We need you to come to fill me afresh. We thank the Lord that when the Spirit comes and fills us, then He undertakes. And Lord, He, he demonstrates that our Savior is still in control and still in the throne. So Lord, come and bless every heart here tonight. Give us a listening ear, a soft and a pliable heart that can be oppressed and shaped by the Word of God. For us all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we come into this chapter we find the builders here making remarkable progress. They're laying stone upon stone upon the walls of Jerusalem. We read in verse 6 of this chapter that the walls of Jerusalem were now halfway built up. Indeed, this was a remarkable feat. When one would stop and consider just how far the Jews had come from. Because when the Jews had went out to start this almighty building project and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem... They weren't working on a site that was smooth. They weren't working on a site that was ready for digging. But remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, he pulled those great big boulders down and left them in a rubble across the site of Jerusalem. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah arrived at Jerusalem and went out at nighttime under the cover of darkness to inspect the walls, it said that he had to dismount his horse, climb upon the rubble for him to inspect the walls. Such was the destruction and the rubble of ob obstacles that was lying before them. And never for these Jews to rebuild the walls, the first thing that they had to do was remove the rubble. They had to remove the destruction before they could take out the spade and dig into the ground. And if this was a stupendous task, a momentous work for the Jews to do, and yet within a few days, because by Nehemiah chapter 4, it was only two to three weeks into the project, and yet two or three weeks into this momentous job, they were halfway finished. The walls had been halfway built up. But you're now reaching the halfway point of this project. The work suddenly changed. Storm clouds gathering around the walls of Jerusalem. The Jews now faced opposition. And it's Sambalat realizing that an independent Jerusalem would undermine his authority and lead to economic loss for Samaria. He was greatly enraged. 
In fact, the word here, wrath, in verse 1 at the start of this chapter, comes from the Hebrew word meaning to blaze up. Indeed, his temper blazing out of control. We read also in verse 1 that he took great indignation. In other words, feeling threatened by the Jews. That they would become self-sufficient. No longer coming into his courts with their cap hanging out. Begging him for political favors. Fearing that they would lose his political control in Jerusalem. His anger was consumed within him. In fact, so much so that he left Samaria. Came down to the region of Judea. And came to Jerusalem to stop the work of God. A man or woman here tonight, remember, remember where there is a work for God, there is a warring for God. Remember when your church has a building program seeking to evangelize the lost. Remember there's also a battling program. Because when the, Lord, the work of the God commences and His people get involved in evangelism and those the blessing of the Lord upon them, there is always, Always a contending from the evil one. The evil one will not let us go forth without any obstacles to build the kingdom of God. In fact, you know, remember the Apostle Paul. Paul, knowing revival blessing, preaching the gospel, he had set his heart to go to Thessalonica. And though he had determined to go to Thessalonica, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 18, that Satan hath hindered us. And that word hinder is a military term. In other words, Satan brought his spiritual armies out and stood in the path of Paul. Just like when King William sent that ship down to London Derry to relieve the siege. And when he was confronted by a boom of logs, so the apostle Paul faced Satan, seeking to block his path to Thessalonica. And does it not remind us this evening that where there is a work for God, Satan will seek to hinder you. He will seek to step in your path and to stop your progress in God's kingdom. In fact, when you think of Zerubbabel, the counterpart of Nehemiah, back in the book of Ezra, when he had come 30 years earlier to build the temple, did he find it easy? No, for 21 years in Ezra chapter 4, it said the Samaritans stood against him at every turn. In fact, they had hired counselors right in the heart of the Persian Empire, right in the throne room of Artaxerxes. They were standing there every day, seeking to poison his heart and his mind against the work of Jerusalem. And does not remind us this evening, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to do that great work of redemption, laying the great foundation stone of the blood of Toman, just as Satan opposed him in the Garden of Gethsemane and in the wilderness, so Satan will oppose this church. When they go out in gospel endeavor, and seek to sow the good seed of God's word. And when they know progress and blessing, Satan will seek to stand against you. He will seek to oppose the work of God. In fact, have you ever wondered why C.H. Spurgeon's magazine was called The Sword and Trial? It was because of Nehemiah chapter 4. When he read it, he saw them standing with the trial in one hand and the sword in the other hand. And Spurgeon realized, if you're going to do a work for God, not only do you need the trial in one hand, you'll also need the sword in the other hand, because there'll be a contending. Satan will stand against you. And never think here tonight that we are the, the anomaly to the rule, that we're the exception to the rule, that, to the rule that Satan hinders God's work. 
Because even though you may be a small Christian, in a small venture in God's work, Satan will still seek to stand against you and oppose the work of God. So often we go out naively. We think, I'll get involved in God's work. I'll get in the children's work. I'll get in the Sunday school work. I'll begin to witness to my neighbors. Not only no blessing. I'll never have problems. Nobody will ever speak ill of me. There'll be no bitterness. There'll be no back-talking behind my back. And yet what happens when you get out in God's work? Satan soon follows you in your path, and he seeks to hinder you. And just as Nehemiah sought to do a work for God here in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Satan came in Nehemiah chapter 4. He sent his servants, Sambalad and Tobiah, to resist God's servant. And ever tonight, as we come to consider this passage, and as we can even consider this circumstance, you're in the middle of a building project for the Lord. You're in the middle of a mission. You're at the halfway point. Just like Nehemiah's men were. They were at the halfway point. The walls were halfway built. And you're at the right of the halfway point of this mission. Well, remember, Satan is hot on your heels. He will seek to hinder you. And when you remember, just like Nehemiah did, when Satan comes to hinder you, it's only because of one reason. It's because of your much use for God. Much use for God. When you start to advance God's kingdom, then Satan gets his eyes upon you and seeks to hinder you. And as we come to consider this passage, it may not only that truth encourage your heart, but as we come to consider the opposition that Nehemiah faced, let us learn from Nehemiah's example how he faced the opposition and advanced the work of God. And he knows, first of all, the attack he experienced the attack he experienced. Because not only did the nobles of Tekoa refuse to put their shoulders to the work in Nehemiah chapter 3, but Sam Ballot now asking a series of questions. Notice here, he sought to scorn them. He sought to scorn them. Because for, for using first the sword of the tongue, we read in verse 2, And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Here was Samballat and Tobiah pouring mockery and scorn upon God's servants. He had a stage when Samballat was pouring mockery and scorn upon Nehemiah. He was standing in front of a great big army standing behind him. In fact, he was standing right in front of the very walls of Jerusalem. Because in Nehemiah's prayer here, at the end of verse 4, he says, They have provoked thee to anger before the builders. And Sambalat's standing here with the armies of Samaria around him, seeking to intimidate the children of God. He then poured scorn upon them. In fact, the picture here is like a playground. There was the big bully standing with all his cronies around him. When he thought the crowd was for him, then he got brave. Then he began to pour mockery and scorn on the, the weakest person in the, in the playground, Judah. He sought to mock them in their work. In fact, there was his old sidekick standing beside the bully. Who was standing beside him? Tobiah. And just as the sidekick of the bully always nods his head to the bully, there he was standing beside him. Yes, yes, Sam Ballot. Even if a fox went up, it would knock down those walls. In other words, the walls were so low and so weak, Tobias said that they would be knocked down by a fox. And here they were, standing and mocking the work of God. In other words, they teach us the first wave of attack from the evil one 
is mockery. Mockery. The devil will seek to demean you in the work of God. And the devil is a mocker. When reason fails to dissuade them, when logic seeks to reach its end with us in seeking to use logic to dissuade us, he then turns to ridicule and mockery. He seeks to pour scorn upon us. In fact, do you not remember Goliath? Even though Goliath was strong and came against David, what was the first thing he did? He mocked David. He says, you're just a youth. You're just ruddy and of a fair countenance. You're treating me as a dog, sending such a weak man before him. The first tactic he used was mockery. And one of the chief weapons that Satan uses is mockery. Because it's so effective. How often have you not found it in your own experience? When you seek to take a stand at school or in the workplace and seek to witness for the Lord, and when they begin to laugh at you, calling you a Bible basher or good living, what happens? You soon become quiet. You no longer take your stand for the Lord because this weapon is so effective. But child of God, what are we to do? We're to marshal on. We're to keep our eyes on the Lord and keep serving like Nehemiah did. So often you hear the story, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What did Solomon say in Proverbs chapter 17? A broken spirit drieth bones. In other words, the hardest wound or the most sorest wound you can affect on a person is a broken heart. See, that old nursery rhyme is not true. Sticks and stones, yes, they break bones, but words affect us much deeper. And when we go out to witness for the Lord, remember, the devil will use mockery. He'll seek to pour scorn upon you. What are you seeking to do preaching the Bible to us? You are just old Bible bachelors. He's seeking to mute you. He's seeking to stop you in the work of God. If you want to keep on working for the Lord in this window of period, keep your eyes on the Savior. See the spiritual truth. It's not flesh and blood you're wrestling against. It's the evil one. And the reason why they're mocking you is because of your much use for God. God is using you to advance His kingdom. Don't it was here that He used a mockery to scorn them, but notice also He sought to discourage them. He sought to discourage them. Because attacking on many fronts, we read in verse 10. And Judas said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. I remember at this stage they were at the halfway point. They had been building for two to three weeks, and now their arms were sore. It was not just as easy to get out of the bed in the morning to go and to build the walls. In fact, they saw they still had a great amount of work to do. And what happened to these people? getting their eyes off the Lord, seeing that God was for them, and getting their eyes on their weakness, getting their eyes on the obstacle that lay before them, they became discouraged. They no longer wanted to build the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, not only does Satan attack us from without, Satan also attacks us from within. He'll seek to say to you, you're too small, you're too insignificant, you could never do such a great job. In fact, you not find that with Elijah. Elijah was a great man of God. For three years, he served the Lord fervently. But what happened to Elijah when the fire came down in Mount Carmel? And when he slew the prophets of Baal, he asked God to kill him. And what was the reason? It's because Satan attacked him in his own heart and his own mind. He says, Elijah, this is pointless. You have served God for three years. Even fire has come down from heaven. And Jezebel still resists the God of Israel. Your work is profitless. 
You'll do nothing in the kingdom of God. And Elijah, listening to such attacks within his own heart, he asked God to kill him. And how often is that not the main reason why so many people fall out of the ranks of God's service and working for him? They'll work away in the Sunday school, in the children's meeting. They say, this is pointless. This is in vain. Nobody's ever got saved under my ministry. In fact, my class is smaller today than it was when I started the ministry. This is pointless. I need to throw in my hat to discouragement. Man and woman, if we are to keep persevering for the Lord, recognize it's the devil speaking in your heart. Those are his arguments, his, his tactics. He's seeking to discourage you in God's work. In fact, Alexander the Great was in his teens, and his father took him to see a horse notorious for his viciousness. And watching carefully, he noticed the horse was afraid of its own shadow. And getting on the horse, he kept the horse's face towards the sun. And as long as the horse's face was towards the sun, the horse was peaceful and quiet. And that's a lesson for us. How did Nehemiah change the situation here? He said in verse 14, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And as long as they kept their eyes on God and His strength, they kept on working. How often is it not true? We'll start some project at home. We'll go in and say, I'm going today, going to clean that old store. I'm going to open the door. And you begin to throw everything down, and you're full of enthusiasm. And yet when lunchtime comes, and you look at the mess you've created around you, you begin to get discouraged. I'm going to stop that project. I'll do that at a later time. But remember, the project is now half done. You've actually less work to do now than you did when you first started. And remember, God is behind you. Keep your eyes on the Lord. You see, these people getting discouraged, they forgot the walls were halfway built up. They only had a halfway, half the work still to do. And God was still on their sides. The only way to overcome that discouragement was keeping their eyes on the Lord. In fact, notice also in this passage, not only he sought to attack them, by discourage them, but he sought to destroy them. Destroy them. Because in verse 7 of this passage we read, But it came to pass... That when Sambalad and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And notice here the principle of intensification. At the very start when Satan sought to attack God's people, back in Nehemiah chapter 2, there was just two people, Sambalad and Tobiah. But as long as God's people step, kept marching forward and kept doing God's work, what do we see now in verse 7? Not only is it Sambalat and Tobiah, but it was the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. It had now been intensified to five enemies. In fact, the attack had intensified. No longer was he just grieved in the heart in Nehemiah chapter 2. No longer was he mocking them. He was now raising up an army to kill them. And that's the tactic of the evil one. If we keep working on for the Lord and keep persevering in God's work, if we get past the ridicule and the mockery, the next tactic is the devil will come to persecute us. He will seek to lay his hand upon us. In fact, we not find that in the New Testament. Christ went out. They sought to mock him first of all. When Christ kept working for his Father in heaven, they then sought to remove his life. In fact, that was the same principle in the book of Acts. First of all, it was mockery. And then after the death of Stephen, it was persecution. 
And I don't know what stage we're in at today. We hear the atheists, they laugh and they mock us. They seek to demean the Christian's intelligence. Why do you have such a blind faith and hope in the Word of God? And I don't know what will happen if we keep persevering and determining in the work of God. Maybe we'll anger them so much so because we're threatening them, threatening them in their enterprises that they'll seek to lay their hand upon us and seek to dissuade us in the work of God. See, this is the strategy and the tactic of the evil one. He has never changed his tactics. He has never changed his strategy. And let us learn from the attack of the evil one. But only notice here the attack he experienced, but notice also the activities he employed. The activities employed. Because hearing the laughter of Sambalat, Nehemiah sprung into action, knowing that reason would not cause him to turn away his sword. Notice he waited. He waited because bowing in prayer, we read in verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn the reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. You know, Nehemiah here could have very easily marched out of Jerusalem, stood toe to toe with Sambalat, and went to an argument with this man. He had the right of the king behind him. Artaxerxes had sent him letters. In fact, he had sent the king's soldiers with him. He had the king's authority. And he could have went toe to toe with this man and started to beat. But how did he react to the attack of the evil one? He ignored him. He got on his knees and he prayed to the God of heaven. Not because it didn't affect him. It did affect him. He said he was even despised in his prayer in verse 4. It did touch his heart. But he realized that God's in control. And God is a defender of his people. Because he had a faith in God, he fell on his knees and laid the problem before the Lord. And O child of God, the seed, we are not called to fight fire with fire. When we are slandered, we are not to slander back. When they turn evil to us, we are not to return evil with evil. Because the Lord taught us how we are to react to our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, he said in verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He says, get on your knees and lay it before the Lord. Christ didn't just say here, do as I say and not as I do. Because what did Peter say when Christ went to the cross in 1 Peter 2 and 23? When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He believed his God was sovereign. He believed his God carries a sword of justice. And one day he will come down and defend his name and his cause. And the only way we'll not lay our hand against the enemy is keeping our eyes on the Lord, that he's in control. He will one day hold them to account and bring them to judgment for their sins. Now, I know it's very easy to attack. It's just like the story I heard recently about the Korean War when the British troops were over there and they took advantage of this lo local cook who cooked for them. They vas put Vaseline on the saucepans. They put water on top of the door and they even kneeled his sandals to the floor. They really picked on this individual. But an individual never retaliating never having a harsh word towards them, they felt pricked in their conscience. And they came and apologized to the man. And they said to him, no more water in the door. No more water in the door. And he says, what? No more water in the door? Yes, no more water in the door. And then they said to him, then he said to them, what about my shoes? And they said, no more nails in your shoes. And then they said to him, what about the saucepans? 
No more Vaseline and saucepans. He says, okay, okay. No more spit in your soup. No more spit in your soup. And how often it's very easy to react that way, isn't it? When somebody gets nasty and calls you a name, you just want to fight fire with fire. But that's not the response of the child of God. We're to follow the example of our Savior. Our Savior could have called 12 legions from heaven, but he held his arms, hands to the cross. He stood there and bore the reproach because he trusted in his heavenly Father. He knew that his God would defend him. Child of God, when they attack us, commit it unto the Lord. Look to the Lord to defend our name and our testimony. Because God will always defend those who put their faith in him. Not only did he wait, but notice also he worked. He worked. Because praying, we read in verse 6, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together, unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. You know, in the normal course of events, when somebody mocks you and discourages you, in verse 6 we would read, So they stopped. So they stopped. But that wasn't the response here of Nehemiah. They worked. They kept their hand on the plow. They answered the devil's attack with perseverance. And the answer to scorn is not sloth, but service. A determination to work on for our Father. In fact, the Apostle Paul being ridiculed for his appearance by the Corinthians. Read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. I labored more abundantly than than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. And here he said, how did he answer their attacks? He worked even harder towards them. And the answer to ridicule is resolve. A determination to go through with the Lord. In fact, it was William Carey, the great missionary, speaking to his son Eunice, who said, If they say I'm a genius, it is not true. If they say I can plot, that is true. And child of God, the secret to success in the face of persecution is just plodding on. Plodding on. It may seem so mundane. It may seem so ordinary. But that's the call that God has called us to do. Moreover, it's required of a steward to be faithful. The first priority God expects of us is faithfulness in God's work. Keep plodding like Nehemiah. And keep your eye on the Lord and your hand on the plow. Notice also he watched. He watched. Because he says in verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And here we see the practicality of Nehemiah. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, he's a deeply spiritual man. He always prays in every, every situation. In fact, when he stood before Artaxerxes, and when he was scared that Artaxerxes would kill him, what does it say? He prayed to the God of heaven. Right there in the presence of the king, he prayed this secret prayer. He always committed his cause to the Lord. This was a deeply spiritual man. And yet one of the most spiritual men in Scripture is one of the most practical men in Scripture. Because having a deep faith in the Lord... He then set a watch across the walls of Jerusalem. I know it's so often said that a man can be so heavenly minded, he is of no earthly use. But that is not true. A man who is more heavenly minded can see God in all the aspects of his life. See everything that he does and his responsibilities with a spiritual mindset. When he wakes up in the morning, he'll become the most practical man. Knowing God has called him and called him to be the provider to his family to love his family, and to be a support to them. Recognizing God has called him such a great task. He'll not hit the snooze button, but having a heavenly mind, he'll get out of his bed, and he'll go and serve the Lord. And that's what the Lord calls us to. Not only to be spiritual, we need to pray. 
We need to look to God in everything. But we're also to serve him by faith. Because what did Christ say to disciples in Matthew 26? He told them to pray, lest ye enter into temptation. But what was the first thing? Watch and pray. Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And we are not to fall to the attacks of the evil. Not only are we not to pray to God, but we're to watch out for the handiwork of Satan. When we seek Satan is seeking to tempt us, then we're to run to God's counsel to use the wisdom of Scripture against him. In fact, there was a man by the name of Bobby Leach. He was a famous acrobat back in the early part of the 19th century. In 1910, he was the first man to walk across the Niagara Falls. He all, for 30 years, he walked across tight ropes and never fell. And yet, how did Bobby Leach die? One day, walking down the street of Chicago, not looking where he was going, he slipped on an orange skin and fell and hit his head and bled to death. There was a man. When he realized there was a task before him that brought much vulnerability to him, he was vigilant and he watched. But as soon as he got careless, that's how he passed away. A man or woman, it's only as soon as we get careless, only as soon as we let our guard down, that then we fall and let the evil one in and ruin our testament in our lives. Keep the Lord before you. Have patience. Hold your tongue and show that you're trusting in the Savior. Keep your eyes upon him. But it was lastly, the anger he envisaged. The anger he envisaged. Because here in this prayer that he offered up to God in verse 4, we hear Nehemiah pray, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn the reproach upon their own head. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. Nehemiah, when he prayed to God, it was like a prophecy recognizing if any man lays his hand upon God's children, they're laying their hand against God Almighty. He recognized that God would turn their attack against them and ruin them. In fact, what happened here? We have their sin uncovered. They had conspired secretly in the courts, and yet the Jews were living nearby. And they heard and they brought this sin to Nehemiah. And the Word of God reveals their sin. They could not hide it. In fact, what happened to those people? God turned their attack against them. And God destroyed Sambalat and Tobiah. I remember, child of God, the Lord is on your side. He stands for his people. And remember what the Lord said in the book of Psalms, that we are the apple of his eye. In other words, if anybody touches God's anointed, it's like putting the eye, finger into the very eye of God. And how sensible the pupil of the eye is. Because, God, we are held so dear in the arms of God, God will come out and stand against them. I think of it in our own denomination. How we've even seen that truth. Even back in the early days when God's work was advancing during the 60s and 70s, a man by the name of Brian Faulkner sought to stand against their denomination and ruin the denomination. In fact, he boasted that he would close down the Free Presbyterian Church. And you know what happened to that man, Brian Faulkner? Standing up one day and calling Dr. Paisley the demon doctor. A few weeks later, he fell of his horse and went out to a lost eternity. No man mocks God's children. Just like when the children came out and mocked Elisha for being bald. What did God do to protect his servant? He sent out the bears out of the forests and they devoured up those people. A man or woman, remember, you are precious in the sight of God. God loves you with an everlasting love. He cares for you. And as soon as he sees his people attacked, he will stand in for them and be their great defender. In fact, that's a warning 
to the unsaved. Even the unsaved here in this meeting. Oh, you may say, I have mocked God's work. I don't mock his people. But you've done worse than that. You've mocked the, the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, whosoever shall call upon me shall be saved. He says, come on to me all you are heavy, uh, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And what have you said to Jesus? You've called him a liar. You said, God can't save me. There's no way I'm too big of a sinner for God. You're saying that Jesus Christ is a liar. You're mocking God's anointed. And just as Sanballat and Tobias' transgression was poured upon them in judgment, you're walking on thin ice. The Lord could pour his judgment and lose his patience and long-suffering against you. In fact, notice here, they couldn't hide their sin. They, tried, they sought to hide their sin, their secret plots, but they couldn't do it. And you cannot hide your sin, your secret thoughts against God's anointed. Everything lies exposed before him. And I trust and pray at the end of this meeting, as you will realize tonight the brevity of your life, the danger of the hour, and you'll come and ask this God to be your Savior. And just as he stands as our protector, he'll stand as your protector. And you will know the Lord's sovereign grace in leading, providing, and protecting you all the days of your life. See, God stood, he'd fear for Nehemiah. The Lord fought for him. And within 52 days, he built the walls of Jerusalem. It took Zerubbabel 21 years to build the temple. But having such blessing and power of God, 52 days. And I trust and pray as you go forward this week, you'll know the blessing of God, that divine power and unction. And you'll see many souls brought into the kingdom of God. Let's just bow our head together for a brief word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank the Lord you've called us into this service we thank the Lord it was an eternal and effectual call, a call that came even before the foundations of the earth. And we thank the Lord you sovereignly brought us to thyself. And Lord, what a joy it is to be in the service of an almighty God. We thank the Lord that our work can never fail because God has told us, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Lord, bless your servants here. Encourage them. Lord, may they see much power and blessing in the ministry of truth. Lord, may even a sinner tonight recognize God is true to his word. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, he shall, shall be saved. So Lord, bless us in the closing moments of this meeting. Lord, give us that spirit of thankfulness in the place of praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.